Well, I don't know if you're a Foo Fighter fan, but I love that song, Learning to Fly. There's something all of us, even as kids, like, I really wish I could learn how to fly. And it was kind of this aspiration, imagination. I think for many of us, we apply that same thing to Christianity. Yeah, some nice ideas, some nice stories, some nice fables. But let's not take it too far. It's not like we're really going to metamorphosize into something that we're not. Right? You ever said to yourself, like, I wish, I wish there was proof that the Bible is true. I wish I could just put my hands around some, some truth or proof that Jesus is who he says he was. If God would just give me a sign, if you just speak out loud, then I would believe it. Well, today we're going to look at the claim that God can produce metamorphosis in us, in our body, our soul, and our spirit. But Jesus is going to give the, the literal, archaeological, evidential proof, the claim support for what he says he can do. He's also going to show that he can create the best environment for change. It's not religion, do's and don'ts don't produce the best change. It's not guilt and shame as if that produces the best change. Instead, he's going to show how his actual historical archaeological claims that God came from heaven to earth to dwell among us, what he did and what he proved is his promise of metamorphosis. It's where we get the idea of what a caterpillar does when it changes into a butterfly. But that word actually comes from a word in the Greek, metamorpho. And Jesus is basically saying to you and I, I've come to prove metamorpho. What I did for me, I will do for you. In other words, why did God come to earth? To give us evidence. I want to show you, I'm promising I will one day resurrect your body. I will do this for you. But let me prove metamorpho. I will do it for me first. And what I did for me, I will do for you. And not just your literal body. I'll let my body die and I'll resurrect it, metamorphosize it, so you can know I can do it for you. But I'll also show you how my teachings, as bizarre as they might sound, like forgiving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, but they can transform your heart and your spirit and your mind and your life as well. A few weeks ago, I got an opportunity to go sailing. And when I went sailing, I got a chance to uh, learn how to sail, which was a lot of fun. And while I was sailing, we made our way to Fort Jefferson. Fort Jefferson was a fort the United States built right on the edge of Florida, just outside the Keys. And this was built by Thomas Jefferson, our president, to basically protect the Gulf from outside attackers. And so there would be a lot of pirates coming in and through there. And this was a, a gigantic fort we built to protect that area. It was just monstrous. Incredible stats on this thing. When you tried to approach it, the cannons could shoot a 125-pound cannonball three miles. And the amount of cannons on this fort, they could aim 100 cannons at one time at any approaching vehicle. But later on, it was used as a prison the Guantanamo Bay of its day. And one of its most famous residents was Dr. Samuel Mudd. You ever heard the old phrase, your name is Mudd? It comes from this guy. Why? Well, Samuel Mudd was known as being part of the conspiracy to kill off Abraham Lincoln. Now, though it was never fully proven, 
and he felt unfairly um, persecuted and unjustly, he was sentenced to a life imprisonment here in a cell. And I got to visit that cell that says, when you enter here, no more hope remains. When John Booth killed Abraham Lincoln, he jumped out. And the claim is that Dr. Samuel Mudd gave him money and also mended up his leg. Because of that, he was accused of treason and sent to this location. In a very small cell, he'd spend the rest of his life in incredibly hot temperatures, surrounded by his captors. And here he ate food that even the the military team there said the food was horrible. It was rotted. It was disgusting. The cisterns holding the the clean water had been contaminated by seawater. Everything about the experience, truly, hope died there. However, yellow fever broke out. They didn't know what it was at the time, and they began to quarantine everyone who got whatever this disease was to a nearby island. But no matter how many people they quarantined, everyone continued to get sick until eventually all of the nurses got sick and the doctors got sick. And now they didn't know how to solve this thing. They didn't know how to fix this thing. But they had one captive in the corner, one Dr. Samuel Mudd, who had a choice to make. How would he treat the people he felt unjustly imprisoned by his captors? Here's what he says in his journal as he reflected on this experience. He said, It was but natural that resentment and fear should rankle in my heart and that I should stop to discuss mentally the contending emotions that now rested upon a horrid reflection of the past. Although the rule of conduct upon which I had determined was not in accord with my natural feelings, Yet I had the sanction of my professional and religious teaching and the consciousness of conforming that holy precept, do ye good for evil. That's kind of an old world way of saying, I didn't want to help these people. I didn't want to be nice to people who had been mean to me. But I remembered my religious teaching, the words of Jesus, who said, overcome evil with good. And that's what he did. He said, guys, I'm a medically trained doctor. If you will let me come out every day, I will come and work with the sick. And he began to do exactly that. He began to care for his enemies, overcoming evil with good. He went out to that island where many were quarantined, and he began to take incredible notes. He would eventually, in just a few short months, begin to take detailed notes about yellow fever that would become the notes handed over to the U.S. government that we used to ultimately defeat yellow fever. He became the hero of Fort Jefferson. This captive, this man accused of treason, was now the hero who was healing fathers and mothers and generals and captors. In fact, Fort Jefferson was so impacted, and the United States was so impacted by the work done by Dr. Samuel Mudd, that those at the fort petitioned the new president to pardon Dr. Samuel Mudd of his crimes. That's exactly what happened. After four short years, he was released and went back home. Because he found that Not just the claims of Jesus, but the teaching of Jesus worked. He didn't want to love his enemies. He didn't want to care for those who had put him in captive. But when he followed the words of Jesus, he was transformed, metamorpho, and those around him were transformed as well. He began to be Jesus by bringing life and healing to those around you. So how can you and I experience the metamorphosis in our hearts now and the promise of our bodies later? Well, let's look at that together. 
Well, to do that, we need to look at finding someone, somewhere, that we can be transformed. And that's where Jesus brings this proof. He says, I am the someone who can change you, and I am the somewhere that can create the environment that will bring about that metamorphosis you need. Now, he does this in a very specific way with three of his disciples. He says to them in Mark chapter 9, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some people standing here right now who aren't going to die or taste death until they see the kingdom of God present. Oh, you mean kind of like they feel the love of God? No, you're going to see some proof of who I am right here and right now. He's talking to 12 of his disciples. He says not all of them, but three of them he's going to invite to a front row seat to evidence that Jesus can produce metamorphosis. Until you see the kingdom of God present with power. Now after six days, Jesus took three of the 12, these are three, Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And it's here he's going to give them proof of metamorpho. Listen, guys, watch. What I did for me, you're about to see, I will do for you. And he, on this mountain with three of his buddies, three witnesses, he was transfigured. See that word transfigured? He was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth could possibly whiten them. Now that word transfigured is the same word metamorphosis, metamorpho. So it's not just he does our spirit and soul like Dr. Samuel Mudd. It's not just that we become better versions of ourselves. There's a literal version in which Jesus transformed himself, revealed himself. I'm not just a caterpillar human being. I am a butterfly. I am the God sent from heaven. I'm metamorphosizing myself right in front of you with actual evidence. And what they see, this dimensional door that's open as Jesus fully reveals who he is. They said, the, the, the white, the light, it was whiter clothes and this is in a dirty culture. You walk around all the time. It was wider than any launderer could ever get you. It was something surreal we saw. We saw evidence. All three of us, it wasn't a dream. Three people witnessed Jesus showing us what metamorphosis looked like. He continues. Then Elijah shows up, appeared to them with Moses. What? Now, quick biblical timeline. Moses is thousands of years before Jesus. So is Elijah, several hundred so these two characters they'd read about in their Bible, heard about in their Bible, are standing there before Jesus. Jesus is offering this unbelievable proof. You want proof? Here's Moses. You've read his book? Here he is. You've heard about Elijah? Here he is. And here's a look into what heaven looks like with fully transfigured, fully metamorphosized bodies, eternal bodies. So Elijah and Moses appear to them as they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good, to, it's good for us to be here. Wow, thank you for this evidence. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, let's go back to our caterpillar metaphor for a second. Again, we're not animals. We're made in God's image with body, soul, and spirit. But often we think of ourselves as temporal beings, Hey, we're temporal beings who occasionally have an eternal moment or a spiritual moment. But Jesus is going to turn everything on its head. 
he's going to say, you think that your temporal beings that occasionally nibble on some spiritual elements. I want to reveal that you are actually an eternal being. Right? When you see a caterpillar, what you know that the caterpillar may not is that is a butterfly. All the components of a butterfly are in him, right? He's eventually going to become something different than he or she is. Well, in the same way, Jesus says, we are human beings, fleshly beings, and we are nibbling on the little things in life and temporal things cannot fully satisfy us. So I want to create a cocoon. I want to create a portal for Peter, James, and John for you to look through to see what happens, to see that we are actually human beings, fully eternal beings. And so he begins to take off the earthly disguise, so to speak, and reveal that inside of what you thought was Jesus the man was God in the flesh. Imagine you've never seen a butterfly before. It's almost magic watching a caterpillar metamorphosize and transform into that butterfly. Wow! And this is the feeling Peter, James, and John had up on that mountain that day at Mount Hermon. They're like, I thought I knew Jesus. I saw these powerful things he did. Holy cow! Jesus is far more than we thought. He's more than a good teacher. This is something transformational. Jesus says, yes, I am God in the flesh. And in the same way, I am something different and you are a spiritual being made by me. And then to give more evidence that Jesus is who he says he is, they saw this with their eyes, they, they heard it with their ears, and now a voice from heaven comes down and says, that right there is my beloved son, hear him. Now here's where the problem comes, right? At one level we say, if God would just speak to me, I'd believe it. If God would just give me evidence, I'd believe it. So God gives supernatural evidence on earth in history to Peter, James, and John. God reiterates it with a voice from heaven. Hey, that's my son right there, in case you're wondering. And then we read the Bible today as modern people and say, yeah, right. So on one hand, we want God to speak. On the other hand, it says he does, and we're like, oh, come on, God doesn't do that. So you're kind of in this, what psychologists call a double bind. If he does it, you don't believe it. If he didn't do it, you don't believe it. Because we say, well, God doesn't normally do that. And that's right. God set up a natural world with natural laws and consequences. But sometimes a supernatural God interrupts the natural form of life and does supernatural things. So it's actually very philosophically consistent that an all-powerful God, if he really was Jesus, should be able to do supernatural things. And if God really wanted you to know who he is, he would give evidence of it, which he did. And if that happened to Peter, James, and John, and they got to see this firsthand, they would want to write it down with the medium of, of mass media of their day, which was what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these autobiographies, or rather biographies of Jesus Christ. They're saying, we saw evidence, and they began to pass the evidence on that Jesus did what he said he did. And that his father, a voice from heaven, God the Father, reiterated, this is my son. This is me coming to earth in the flesh. And I just showed you a, a little picture of heaven as to who I really am. Well, suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore. 
but only Jesus with themselves. So Moses is gone, Elijah's gone. He commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Like they're up there having this incredible multi-dimensional experience and then he starts talking about the fact, don't tell anybody about this yet. Don't give this evidence away yet until later when I have risen from the dead. In other words, I'm going to do, you just saw me metamorphosized, but I'm going to in history show you that what I did for me, dying on the cross and resurrecting my body, I will do for you. Now, do you think the disciples got it? So they kept this word to themselves, questioning, what? What in the world rising from the dead meant? They had no concept that Jesus was going to physically die and raise his body from the dead. Which again, is some of the evidence the Bible is true. The disciples didn't make this up. From their Jewish upbringing, they did not anticipate God coming and doing this. This was a foreign idea. And yet when you look at it backwards, it makes so much sense. God said, you've got a body that's falling apart. I'm gonna come into a world that's falling apart, allow myself to be attacked by injustice, allow my body to be destroyed, that as I die and give evidence that I can raise my body from the dead, you can trust that I will raise your body from the dead. And think about Moses and Elijah there. It's not like they had name tags. Hi, I'm Moses. I'm the guy with the beard. Hi, I'm Elijah. I'm the guy with the cane. No. There's something about the essence of seeing heaven. We recognize people for who they are. Which means if you've ever had someone struggling with Alzheimer's, if you've ever felt the pain of aging and, and feeling your body not do what it's supposed to do, the vision of heaven Jesus gives us here is when you get metamorphosized in heaven, your eternal body you're recognized for who you are, not just what you do. You're recognized for the essence of a body that has no more Alzheimer's and no more pain. That's the hope of resurrection. And it's not just a nice story, though it's a nice story. It's a transforming story based on the evidence that Christianity claims to be history, that he can transform you and I from the inside out, body, soul, and spirit. I had the opportunity to share this with a friend of mine several years ago. He started coming to our church and he was, his name was Scott. He was new to faith and wasn't sure he believed in Jesus, God, or the Bible, but he loved coming to our services. Our exploring service for those who are kicking the tires on Christianity, looking for evidence. And occasionally he tapped into our equipping service, which is our first service right now at 915, where we go verse by verse through the Bible. But he wasn't sure exactly where he was, but over the next couple of years, he began to go on mission trips, get in men's Bible studies, and really find the freedom to ask the questions he had. As he began to kind of make that journey, he eventually came to the place that he started to believe in Jesus. Now, I caught up with him at a funeral. I will never forget, it was just he and his wife, John Kirby and I, at the graveside. And so it was a very informal and intimate funeral that day as we were burying his aunt, I said, have you ever wondered why we put bodies in the ground? He said, yeah. I said, because the hope of Christianity is not that your spirit goes to heaven. It's not that your soul goes to heaven. It's that you are your body, your soul, and your spirit. And God is going to take this shell, 
this old caterpillar shell that we think is worthless now and it's going to turn into dust, but God's going to renew that. And God gives you a brand new body in heaven. And he resurrects this body. So when you go to heaven, you're not energy, you're not a ghost, you don't turn into a bird, you don't turn into an angel. You are you eternally. And your aunt is going to have a brand new body in heaven. God's going to take this old body at the end of time and he's going to put it back together fresh and new with no more pain and no more agony with her soul and spirit. He said, really? That's what Christians believe? I said, yeah. That's why Jesus, when he, he rose from the dead, he gave proof. He ate honeycomb. He ate fish. He hugged people. Guys, this is a real body. It's not a, a dream you're having. It's not a fantasy. He's like, wow. I can see why you'd want to believe in Christianity. Even if it wasn't true, you'd want to believe that you can have a brand new body, all the things that you love about your body without all the pains and, and agony. Fast forward a couple years. And unbelievably, this doctor was out mowing his lawn. He loved mowing his lawn. And he had an accident and died. Very, very young. And we did his funeral we were able to say with confidence that my friend Scott, who'd been on this journey spiritually, had come to the moment that he believed. He didn't know when he would die. Probably another 50 years left. But he had confidence of metamorphosis, metamorpho, that what Jesus did for himself, he would do for Scott. I was sharing this story one day at church about a year and a half ago. I got done telling the story. Didn't even mention Scott's name by name. And all of a sudden, I came down the stairs. As I came down the stairs, somebody walked up to me from the third row and said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, that story you told about the guy who had the accident and at the funeral, was his name Scott? I said, yeah. She said, I've never been to the church before. I just felt this, this uh, nudging, this impression to come to church today, to your church. And he's one of my relatives. And I knew he died many years ago. And I never knew where he was in his faith with God. And I cannot tell you what a gift it was. What a, how assuring it was to be able to hear the story of someone that I've, I, I always hoped had faith in Jesus. That he would transform my, my friend the same way he transformed himself on the cross. And can I just say thank you. It was clear that God was leading me here today. Isn't that powerful? So again, there's actual evidence from the transfiguration, evidence from Jesus' death and resurrection, and evidence all around us that if you investigate like Scott did, use our environments, our exploring service, our equipping service, our men's studies, our Bible studies, to look at the evidence to see if God can do for you what he did for himself. Well, Paul picks up on this idea and says, now let me show you how that evidence of what he will do with your body can apply to your spirit and soul as well. To do that, you've got to learn some things. Like what? Paul says the, the, the metamorphosis power of Jesus for your body, soul, and spirit can be applied to your everyday life. If we would learn to conform your thoughts to your transformed new identity. In other words, he's transformed you. When you ask for God's forgiveness, it's the deposit that he will one day raise your body from the dead and the promise that he will live in you now to transform your spirit and soul until that time. 
Here's how Paul applies it to people. He says, guys, when you become a follower of Jesus, your citizenship is in heaven. As far as God's concerned, you're already guaranteed you're going to heaven. Not based on what you've done, but based on what Jesus did. From which we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Metamorpho. What he did for himself, he will do for you. That it may be conformed to his glorious body. That this temporal body, this caterpillar body will be transformed into this heavenly supernatural, resurrected, eternal body, the butterfly image I used earlier. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself, therefore my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown. Guys, this is our hope. You can know this for sure. You don't have to wish you'll get to heaven. I hope I pass the test when I get to heaven. Maybe I'll see uncle so-and-so again. You can know it. I got a text yesterday that my uncle passed away at midnight. And I've been sitting at my grandparents' graveyard with him about a month ago. And we talked about the confidence he had that Jesus would do for him what he did for himself. And he said, you know, I've just struggled my whole life trying to think the right thoughts before I die, this was a month ago, I want to continue to see God transform my thoughts, my soul, my spirit the same way I know he will transform my body. That's the idea here. So Paul goes on. So if you get that you're going to be transformed, if you have confidence that God will do what he said he will do, stand fast in the Lord, brethren. You can be strong no matter what life throws at you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Here's here's what these butterfly behaviors look like when you have that confidence. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. In everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And when you do that, when you practice those thoughts, when you practice those behaviors, the peace, the shalom, the wholeness of God which surpasses all understanding. It transcends your circumstances. It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So finally, brethren, whatever things are are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, there's anything praiseworthy, here's the, the phrase, meditate, think about, these things. What are you meditating on these days? What do your thoughts ruminate on? Loneliness? Sadness? Depression? Are you meditating on things that are good and holy and hopeful and loving? Can you see how even your spirit and soul could be transformed as you meditate or ruminate or think on not conform thoughts of a world filled with fear and sadness but thoughts that God will overcome that you can rejoice, that you can stand fast that you can be anxious for nothing? That's what God's offering to you and I. A way to live in a broken world by conforming our thoughts to his thoughts. We can start that today. Because of the confidence we have in the evidence and proof that Jesus will do what he said he would do, we can live those practices out today. 
Start those butterfly behaviors. Start practicing those thoughts this week. Out of the, not I'm trying to earn favor with God, but out of the confidence, the absolute confidence that he will transform me. Start those butterfly behaviors because of the confidence that I will be transformed. Why don't you pick one of these? What are some of those, right? Do you need courage to stand fast? God, I'm gonna choose to think I'm gonna stand fast under the pressure I'm under because I know you can transform me the way you transformed yourself. Maybe this is a butterfly behavior you wanna pick. Rejoice always. It's hard, it's difficult. I don't like this circumstance, but I'm gonna choose like Dr. Mudd did to love his enemies when he didn't feel like it. I'm gonna choose to rejoice always when I don't feel like it. Do you need to be more gentle toward a spouse or a boss or an employee? Maybe it's when you want to be anxious. You say, no, instead of anxious, I'm going to pray. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to replace my anxious thoughts with prayerful thoughts. I'm going to think about good things. I'm going to look at that list that we just looked at. What am I meditating on every day? Fear and sadness or love and hope? God transforms us when you realize that you were lost. I was lost with bad thoughts and no hope, lost in religion, and God says, you can be found. You ever found a bug? I just found two bugs for my son yesterday. And it's like, here's this bug that was all lost. And I found it. And suddenly this bug was just one of many bugs. It was like a, a praying mantis and a, a leaf bug. And I gave it to him. And all of a sudden, Quinn, who has autism, is like stemming off of so excited to see these bugs. These were lost and found bugs. When you realize that you and I were lost, we didn't have any hope of transforming this broken down body that's falling apart. But God found us and he transforms us. What he will do with our body, he wants us to do right now with our mind and soul by practicing those butterfly behaviors. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the hope and confidence that when we were lost, we were found. And we commit to start even now rejoicing always that the peace of God would transform and guard our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.